Please remain standing in honor of the word of God. Our reading today is going to be from 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is God's inspired, authoritative, and inerrant word. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we're weak and needy creatures, both as hearers and as speakers. I pray that the truth would be spoken by me today, even in my weakness, and that the hearers would be attentive, receiving any truth and setting aside any error, and that we would receive reproof and correction from your word and refreshment in it. Equip us, Father, for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So I've titled my message this morning, Difficulty, Remedy, and Challenge. Another word for, to replace remedy could be response or preparation. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, preparing him and encouraging him in his ministry. Commentators will speak about this being a pastoral epistle and how it has uh, the most application to those who are leaders in the church. It was written to Timothy for Timothy as he was also a leader in the church. As an example, in in the last chapter of 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, Paul starts by giving Timothy uh, the charge or an exhortation to preach the word. So this is Paul's writing to Timothy to prepare him in ministry and to encourage him. But there are things here that we're going to be looking at this morning that also have a secondary application and a vital application for all believers. 
So this morning I'm going to look at much of chapter 3, and I'm going to focus on verses 16 and 17, but we're also going to look briefly at chapters 1 and 2, because they have some of the same themes uh, that we're going to be looking at, difficulty and remedy and challenge. And, and while I have these three categories, it's not all hermetically sealed off from one another. You're going to be seeing the same themes as we, as we move along. So if you're following, we'll be starting in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the difficulty. In verse 8, Paul mentions suffering. So right away, what is the difficulty that we're going to look at? Well, the difficulty is that there are difficulties. There's suffering and there's persecution. Verse 8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In verses 11 and 12, speaking about that gospel, Paul speaks about suffering again. He says this, For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Back in verse 6, he's talking about Timothy's faith, and Paul tells Timothy, Fan into flame the gift of God. So here's a beginning mention of the remedy. Uh, uh, Paul is telling Timothy that he should fan into flame, he should should, uh, 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 try to work on his giftings. And the things that are mentioned in this passage are are his sincere faith and his calling. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So very quickly, I'll mention that when we see through the laying on of my hands, we see this as Timothy's commissioning to be a minister of the gospel by Paul. And Paul exhorts Timothy, improve your spiritual gifts, your faith, and your calling. So that's showing us the, the, the how of what's to be fanned, or the, 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 what's to be fanned, but it's not yet showing us the how. Verse 13, then, gives us a bit of the how that we're to fan the flames. Follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me. That's a bit more specific, right? Follow the pattern of sound words. It's it's the apostles' teaching. That's how Timothy is supposed to fan into flame these gifts. I like the King James on this. It says, hold fast the form of sound words. Hold fast to it. Take a firm grip on it and never let it go. Then moving on to chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, Paul tells Timothy, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me. So Timothy can gain strength through the apostles' teaching. So in chapter 1, we have a pattern of sound words given to us. And then in chapter 2, we have strengthening that comes from this. Timothy, hold fast to the teaching. It will bring strength to you. Then in verses 3 through 5, Paul again mentions suffering and brings up the example of a soldier and an athlete. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We have to know our superior's commands in order to please him, don't we? We have to understand the rules in order to run the race in such a way that we receive a crown. Then in verses 8 through 10, Paul mentions his preaching, suffering, and enduring. 
He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And just shortly after that, Paul speaks in verse 15 of what I'll call right actions. Verse 15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Do your best, being approved, an unashamed worker. It's immediately reminding me of of the the tasks and the requirements for the the athlete uh, uh, that we just read about and the soldier that we just read about. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. So that's the action. That's the requirement, rightly handling the word of God. So we've seen themes of difficulty and suffering, and then we have this, a pattern of sound words, strengthening from the apostles' teaching, and rightly handling the scriptures. All themes that we're now going to see again as we move into chapter 3. And we're going to find a bit more of the specifics of what the remedy is for our difficulties, our sufferings, and our persecutions. You know, we're going to specifically look at that in verses 16 and 17 at the end, but first we're going to look at verse verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. The phrase last days here is used by Paul to refer to things that Timothy was going to encounter in his day, uh, for which he would have to be prepared. It's, It's a phrase that's similar to that which is used in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, which says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the sense of last days to the uh, author of the Hebrews and to, to his hearers was their own days. Just as the sense that, uh, of, that Paul says to Timothy, it was last days that Timothy was going to encounter. And so here at the beginning of 2 Timothy 3, we find Paul alerting Timothy to be prepared for difficulties in his days. Timothy couldn't be complacent. He needed to be prepared and watchful and working. Now we get a list uh, that we're not going to look at closely, verses 2 through 9, a long list of de- a description of various sins. And we would be tempted, I think, to probably think that this, is, this must be a list of uh, wicked unbelievers that are outside of the church, except that we read in verse 5, having the appearance of godliness. So these are things that even can come from people within the church. Pa- uh, Paul is warning Timothy, preparing Timothy to be prepared to encounter these things in the church. We can certainly encounter them outside of the church, but there are wheat, there's both wheat and tares within the church. Difficulty can come in this form from within. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, and so on. Paul then brings up suffering once again in verses 10 through 12, and we learn that all believers should expect themselves to be persecuted. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me, 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we might have a, a tendency to downplay persecution. I don't know about you, but I've often read that, and I thought, well, I don't see persecution. You know, it's a, maybe it's a distant thing to us that we can, can not really have to be personally concerned about. Now, we can be moved by long-ago accounts in Scripture of persecution. We can even be moved by less distant past descriptions of persecution. Maybe you're familiar with Fox's Book of Martyrs, and he goes through so many different examples of men and women who suffered and died for their faith. And we can even be concerned and, and, and moved by contemporary accounts of, of persecution, right? Uh, but, but that's in Muslim lands, places like that, where Christians lose their lives for the faith, but this is America. It's, it's a land of liberty and religious freedom. We don't have persecutions here. Now, it is true that we live in a, in a land of where we have relative freedom still today, but that's not to say we face nothing approaching persecution or that smaller things won't grow more significant year by year. I think most of us can say that we've lived to see things that we never thought we'd see before things hostile to the faith, and hostile, hostile to the truth, even if it's not explicitly stated that way. I recently watched the movie The Essential Church, and it dealt with Romans 13 uh, and, and church-state relations in the context of the last number of years and COVID restrictions. And among other things, it spoke about some pastors in Canada that were sent to prison some into maximum security prisons because they believed that the state was exceeding its authority. The state was dictating to the church what the proper elements of worship were. We'll let you gather, but these are the things that are appropriate ways to worship your God, and these things are not. Oh, and by the way, some of the things that aren't appropriate for you, we're going to let the casinos do. And these men believe that the church can't neglect to do what God has called it to do and that the state can't dictate what the proper elements of worship are. Here in the U.S. also, John MacArthur and the, the leadership of Grace Community Church were in reasonable expectation that the state was going to make good on threats of severe fines and likely imprisonment. Beyond these issues, we live in days in which our culture more and more wants our faith to be private and not impinge on the culture. There's growing boldness and antagonism and, and things like pride movements and story times and corporations that seek to limit expressions of truth. And there are many instances that I've seen, maybe you've seen, where, where there's a peaceful, legal, Christian protest against wickedness that's going on. And, and there's aggression and even arrest in the, the, in the face of these things, police bypassing the wickedness going on and going and arresting those who are simply presenting the gospel message. There's a growing spirit of antagonism to our faith. And so Timothy's difficulties are our difficulties. Even if they're not yet fully formed, even if you haven't personally encountered it yet, Timothy's need is our need. So what is the need? What, how are we to be prepared? You know, if, if we thought that hard times were on the way, and I think many of us do, what would be our counsel regarding preparation? What seems wise and, and comes first to our minds? Maybe, maybe we'd say, oh, move from the city into the country. Maybe move from a blue state into a red, or, or perhaps 
Let's put money into things that from a worldly perspective are, are more imperishable. You know, maybe you, you buy land, you get gold, you, you consider cryptocurrency, you make good connections with others, you, you learn to buy local, maybe you're, you're prepared prepare to, to uh, trade with other people. Maybe stock up on long-term food storage. While you're at it, maybe get some more ammo. That wouldn't hurt, right? God, gold, and guns. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of those things are bad things. I may or may not have done some of these things myself. But what does 2 Timothy 3 say? Does Paul mention these things? No, he doesn't mention these things. So I'd suggest that however good these things are, they aren't the more important thing. So let's take a little closer look now at the remedy or, or the response. Preparation. In verses 13 through 17, Paul explains the remedy that we should, should, we should be pursuing in light of the difficulties that he's mentioned many times already. And we've seen that he told Timothy to do things like follow his example, follow his teaching. The remedy then, in case you're still wondering, is the word of God. The word. Maybe this doesn't sound as exciting, right, as some of the, the gold and guns things. But to think that way is reminiscent of Naaman, who became angry at what he considered the simplicity and the poverty of Elisha's method for taking care of his difficulty of, um, I'm losing my word, thank you, of leprosy. Uh, instead, Naaman wanted the prophet to come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and, and cure the leper. He wanted something more something that seemed more powerful. Maybe we're tempted to think like Naaman and feel a little let down by the answer of the word. I, I was looking for something more. Maybe we secretly think to ourselves, is it powerful enough for what we are facing today or what we think we might be facing tomorrow? But for good reason, Paul directs Timothy here to the word. The word has the power to save and to sanctify. Shortly before his betrayal, uh, when his death, resurrection, and ascension was imminent, and knowing that the world hated his elect, Jesus prayed for them in, in John seventeen seventeen. He didn't pray that the Father would give them physical strength or health. He didn't pray that he would give them financial means or, or food to eat. He didn't pray that the Father would spare them from, from difficulties, from trials and, and persecutions. He didn't even pray that the Father would spare their lives. No. He prayed this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word has the power to save and to sanctify. Ponder that. Think about the weight of what's just been said. So, so Jesus knows that every slightest little difficulty that you'll ever face, he knew every slightest difficulty, suffering, or persecution that his elect were going to face, He's about to go away, and he prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So in 2 Timothy 3, 13 and 14, Paul tells Timothy this, Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That sounds a little bit familiar in our day. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Continue. It shows the ongoing need for us to be in God's word. 
We can't simply say, oh, well, I, I'm, I've been reading through the Bible for three years, five years, ten years or more. I've, I've sat under faithful preaching for decades. No, it's continue in what you have learned. Next, Paul says this, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. These are sacred writings. They're holy. They're consecrated. They're set apart. Not the, not the pages, not the ink. There's nothing magical about the medium itself, but the truths are sacred. They're God's very words the Holy Spirit has given to us and the Holy Spirit uses in us. They're effective and they're profitable. They're powerful. So powerful that they can make one wise for salvation. Well, it's, it's paper and ink. How, how does it do that? Is it, isn't it just one of many self-help books out on the market? No. No, it's sacred. Okay, so, so how does it accomplish God's purposes? Let's look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Breathed out. This is the only time that the word appears in the New Testament. It comes from the Greek word theopneustos. And it means, it comes from theos, which is God, as you know, and paneo, which is breathe out. And there's a word, uh, a related word to paneo that's used in 1 John 4.13, and it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he, he has given us his spirit, pneuma, a word meaning wind, breath, spirit. So the Holy Spirit breathes out God's word, and that same Holy Spirit works in us. When we're told that the scripture is breathed out by God, this isn't just giving us the name of the author of some book. It's telling us about its power. So let's take a closer look at the power. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God's word brought light. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we see the power of God's word and breath in passages like Genesis 2, where we see that God was formed Adam from the dust of the earth, and God formed his body. There was a body, but there was no life in it until God breathed the breath of life into Adam and brought Adam's lifeless body to life. So God gives us his word. God, it has the power to change us like it had the power to change Adam. It makes us alive, the Holy Spirit working in us, saving and sanctifying. This is no mere self-help book. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel is shown a valley full of dry bones and asked if the bones could live. And Ezekiel responded, O oh Lord God, you know... Humanly speaking, it couldn't happen. No self-help book tells us how to make it happen. No YouTube video tells us how to make it happen. Oh, Lord God, you know. Ezekiel was instructed to prophesy over the bones, and the bones came together, and they were, they were given sinews and flesh and skin, but they didn't live. Again, reminiscent of Adam, right? There was a body, but it did, there was no life in it. We're told, but there was, there was no breath in them. And then Ezekiel was instructed further, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. 
What amazing power. See what the breath of God accomplishes. Dead men come to life. And similarly, when a dead sinner is changed by the Holy Spirit, he comes alive. He knows God, and he has a relationship with God. This is no mere self-help book. The word is powerful to accomplish all of God's purposes. Listen to Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we read, God upholds the universe by the word of his power. The word for, for power there is dunamis. It refers to strength power and ability. We get our word dynamite from it. This is no self-help book. Continuing with verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We see here the usefulness of, of scripture for both right doctrine and right living. All scripture is profitable for teaching. Who God is, who Christ is, the Holy Spirit, who we are, what our sin is, What is the remedy for our sin? How are we to be saved? How should we live? It gives us all that we need for faith and life in God's kingdom. Well, it doesn't teach auto mechanics. No, it it doesn't. But it teaches the auto mechanic how to please God in everything he does, including his auto mechanics. All scripture is profitable for reproof. It points out our sin. If we read and listen with intent... Being self-critical, we make application to ourselves. The Holy Spirit will reveal conviction. We will know our sin. All scripture is profitable for correction. How is this different from, from reproof? It sounds a little bit the same to me. Correction is a setting straight. It's a restoration to the proper condition. So, so the reproof points to the wrong and correction points to the right. We recently... Uh, encountered an incident down the road here where a young man had driven his, his uh, truck off the side of the road. He was in the ditch. So you're in the ditch. <laughs> that's, that's the wrong. And here's the road. Here's the right. All scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. This is ongoing sanctification and exercising of right actions. You know, training is putting into practice the learning so it becomes our nature. It becomes how we, how we live and how we respond and how we speak. Since references to golf are, are popular, I'll give this as an illustration. You know, not that long ago, I was at a driving range, and Sergio was there. And Sergio reproved me. Right? He, he gave me reproof as he criticized my golf stance and my swing, Right? And then he gave me correction. He said, do these 5,000 things. And so I had reproof and I had correction. And then I trained. I repeatedly tried to do the right thing over and over again. And the golf ball does its thing. So we train by using the word of God in our lives. And it equips us in it, uh, for difficulties. It, it equips us for right doctrine and right living. It equips us for every good work. Which is what verse 17 tells us. It says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word is a primary and vital means that God uses to sanctify us, to to strengthen us for difficulties, to, to equip us to glorify him. So do you desire to avoid sin, to grow in obedience, to be holy and sanctified, to be prepared for trials and persecutions? 
to find joy and contentment even in difficult times? Do you want to live a godly life? Do you want to be equipped for every good work? Pick up the word. Handle it. Read. Meditate. Turn it over in your mind. Contemplate the truths there. Be self-critical. Pray that God would bring reproof to you and show you correction and, and uh, equip you to, to continue in it. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And this brings us to the, the challenge portion. And here, too, you might have use a different word than challenge. You might use the word meddling from a story that you might be familiar with. It says this. A, a preacher was going along in his sermon one day, and the congregation was enjoying it just fine because it hadn't yet challenged them in anything. It didn't require anything of them yet. And so they were sitting back and enjoying the message. But then the preacher began to, to, to share some things that started to challenge them, and they were starting to be a little uncomfortable. Some of them were squirming in their seats. And to put it in a, a use a popular uh, current phrase, uh, they were starting to no longer feel like they were in their safe space. Right? And after the sermon, somebody went up to the preacher and said, you done quit preaching and gone to meddling. So this is the meddling part. Maybe your temptation is to say, I know scripture really well. I I don't need it like I used to need it. But we sin in not believing what God has revealed to us. Such an attitude shows the opposite is true about you. Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood. He was very familiar with Paul's teachings. He traveled with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul ordained him into ministry, and the Apostle still instructs Timothy to be in the Word. Continue to be strengthened by it, to be handling it because it was profitable for him. Will you then be dismissive of your need to be continuing in the word? Are you so arrogant that you would suggest that you need to be doing this less than Timothy? I know someone who uh, isn't a believer, but they're not not significantly, harshly antagonistic to the faith. And, And one day... Uh, they were hearing me and someone else discussing some aspect of, of the faith. And I think he thinks that some things are, seem silly and overdone. And he was expressing his opinion that we were treating the details of the faith and of Scripture with way more importance than necessary. You know, uh, much ado about nothing. Mountains out of molehills. And I think sometimes we can even be like that. Where we think, well, you know, is it, is it really necessary? Do, do we have to talk about these things? Do we have to know about this? Do we have to study these things? You know, if that's the Old Testament, this is the New Testament. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. All Scripture is profitable for reproof. All Scripture is proper, prop, uh, 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 helpful, profitable for correction. And by the way, just as an aside, when it's saying all Scripture, what is it mostly talking about? They didn't have the completed canon of Scripture. Mostly it's talking about the Old Testament. So we can't make these distinctions of, well, this isn't really important. Anyway, back to that that conversation. I used an analogy. It wasn't this one, but it was something similar to this. I was saying, imagine a a soldier who's off to war in World War II, and he's he's on the the front lines, and and I can't even imagine what his difficulties were like. And one day, an encouraging letter from his wife caught up to him on the front. And we just know, don't we, that, that he cherished that letter from his wife. He cherished those words. He held fast to that letter. 
kept it in a pocket, and he would take it out over and over again, reading it again and again. It was like hope for him, like life for him, merely human words. He cherished those words, but we have a a word that is God-breathed. So what desire do you feel to cherish that word, even approaching the way that that man must have cherished the word from his wife? Remember, at the start of his ministry, Jesus was led into the wilderness and spent 40 days fasting. And scripture tells us then he became hungry. And Satan, talking about difficulties, Satan came to tempt him with food. But physical bread wasn't the remedy for Jesus' difficulty. It was the word of God, as you know. Jesus said this, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, which I think gives some helpful additional information. In 8.3, the Israelites are being called to remember their own difficult days in the wilderness, just as Jesus was facing difficult times in the wilderness. And, And it says this, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Now listen to this. He humbled them, he let them hunger, and then he fed them. Why did he do that? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We live both physically and spiritually by the provision that comes from God. We live by what God feeds us. The God-breathed, God-given word is food for us, nourishment and life and remedy. God fed the Israelites in the wilderness in their difficult days, and in our difficulties, we experience God feeding us every week. God feeds us in the word, and he feeds us in the sacrament. So let's learn what the Israelites were to learn from the manna. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Are you fed by God's provision of the word? You know, I've seen a statistic that suggests that just, uh, just 25 minutes a day in reading the Bible would allow the average person to read through the Bible twice in a year. Some are slower, some are faster. My question is this. Do you spend 25 minutes a day on anything that's less important than the Word of God? Are you fed by God's provision of His Word? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God would be uh, complete, equipped for every good work. So continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this God-breathed word, profitable for all of faith and life. May we cherish it, be reproved by it, corrected from it, and continue in it, knowing that it saves and sanctifies. In Jesus' name, amen. Just reminded us that God feeds us, he strengthens us, he nourishes us through simple things like his, his word and bread and wine.